2: What up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast, your uh, Monday morning, Sunday evening show that we do every week, culminating with uh, my review with John LaRocca of WCW, Saturday night, 1992, but we will have the Halloween Havoc recap as well on this show going to be in the second segment i'm going to bring on carlos toro in the first segment so we can talk about some boxing because boxing owned the weekend yeah i know anderson silva had his last fight he lost to uriah hall but boxing was really the key when it came to the the sports that we follow on this show so uh carlos will come on we'll talk about uh anyway we'll talk about davis and santa cruz and we'll talk about Al- uh, alexander Usek. um before we get there just want to make a couple of quick announcements. Um, we, will, uh, we, we, we will have some pretty good content this week. Um, Ryan Frederick is now writing two pieces for us per week, which is kind of the, the wrap-up of, of the weekend, and that will go up every Monday. And then he comes back with uh, kind of the preview to the weekend. So he's going to recap what we just saw and preview what uh, we are going to see and then he's going to recap that. So he's kind of, you know, when it comes to the UFC, he's got the whole the the beginning and the end of everything on Fight Game Media, so you'll see that. Robert Silva has got his uh, greatest knockouts of all time, which the first one went up Already last week, we'll put up the second one this week, and then he's restarting uh, a new series on uh, the greatest, I think it's the greatest light heavyweights is where we're going here. I'll, I'll, I'll look in a second here. Uh, yes, the greatest light heavyweights of all time. So if you've been keeping up with Robert on this website, you've seen all the different divisions. He's tackled his his top five in every division. And now we are about to tackle the light heavyweights. So l- look for content from Robert. We're also, you know, this is actually kind of cool for me because uh, we have JD Oliva who is writing about, he's he's writing about some some wrestling and stuff too, but he's really an amateur wrestling and you know, we've never really had coverage of it and he's very much wanting to cover it. So I, I told him, let's do it because, you know, if, that, if that's a little bit of an angle we can take on this website that gets a little bit more eyeballs, um, come to the Olympics or the collegiate season. Uh, I think it's it's a really cool sport to cover and it relates to mixed martial arts. A lot of the best mixed martial arts Guys ever have had a wrestling background, so I, I I love it. I love that he's so jazzed up. So uh, you'll see more stuff from him. I think he might even have two pieces. uh One on the collegiate season as the uh, NCAA deals with COVID nineteen, uh, but he'll have another piece uh on uh, the there was a turn there eight man tournament that had happened. So we'll have two pieces from him. So there's tons of content. Fight Game Media were if you can tell we're getting way more active with content. Andrew Marshall's writing about WWE. All the other guys that I've been talking about, Chris Aiken is still doing stuff for us. He's going to I think he's going to do some more um kind of like NXT recaps on the NXT shows. So lots of stuff. Hopefully you are enjoying it, but we want fightgamemedia.com to be a place where people come for really cool writing. And Justin Nipper's helping me with the, uh, the editing. And Justin's a great writer. You were, If you read all the, the Hanakamura pieces that he wrote. So uh, yeah, lots of fun stuff. I won't keep you waiting. Let me grab Carlos and we're going to talk about some boxing. Carlos Toro has joined us to talk about what was a pretty uh, exciting slate this weekend for boxing. I know we've had some pretty good fights. You know, we had the, the Lopez and Loma fight a few weeks ago, but the, the, it almost felt like uh, we were kind of back to normal with the three main cards and the three competing uh, networks, one, one on Pay-Per-View and one on DAZN and one on ESPN+. So, Carlos... Did it feel a little bit like things were almost back to normal?
1: Yeah, I would say so. It kind of did, especially with the Showtime pay-per-view. The fact that there was a crowd in there was probably like the most normal it seemed for a U.S. boxing show since the pandemic began, which, you know, the last major boxing show to actually have a crowd, like a good amount of people in there was all the way back in March. And I think it was also a PBC show. So it was it felt It felt nice to kind of get that kind of sense of normalcy within, you know, within a a boxing show in the United States. And plus, that show, I'll I'll be honest, I was not exactly super high on the card, on the Showtime pay-per-view on paper. But all of those fights delivered, whether it be with an incredible knockout or the action was good. It was was one of the better shows of 2020 in the U.S.
2: No, that's really good. And so... I was moving all weekend, so I didn't get to watch everything. I, you know, I saw bits and pieces, but uh, you were you were watching everything. You were covering stuff. You even wrote the uh, post fight piece on uh, Gervonta Davis and, uh, and and Leo Santa Cruz. So why don't we dig into all of the three big fights? And, and the thing that I want to ask, I'll, I'll ask sort of like this is mostly based on my view. Of how social media, how the articles that I read, and kind of how the the casual consensus was on these shows. So I'll ask you questions, sort of from that point of view. You tell me, is that what actually happened? Um, okay, so let's start with the uh, Davis in Santa Cruz. Now, I think everyone who wanted to see the knockout found the knockout, the the left uppercut that was you know, one of two perfect punches that I saw this weekend. So Gervonta Davis, I heard, I heard some of this after the fight, though you heard some of it a little bit before going to the fight. Gervonta Davis, uh, Santa Cruz, really good matchup for him. Santa Cruz was, was going to mix it up. He was going to pull Davis out of, out of uh, his, you know, sometimes he could be a little lazy and, you know, really, really the right fight. Uh, styles-wise, to to match up on on pay-per-view. And thus, Davis is just the bigger and the better fighter. He always should have won this fight. Santa Cruz is overmatched the entire time. True or false? Because I read your preview, and I sensed some of that in there, but I didn't sense it the way that I was sort of hearing it after the fight was over.
1: It was kind of in the sense where... Normally you would pick Javante Davis to win this fight. The only thing that was really an issue with a lot of people heading into this fight, and I certainly wrote about it in the preview for Fight Game Media, was how he was going to look at the weigh-ins because when he moved up to 135 pounds to fight Yuriorkis Gamboa, a lot of us thought that that was pretty much it for Davis at 130, was never going to go back down. And then all of a sudden, he has his first pay-per-view main event, and he fights Leo Santa Cruz at 130 pounds. So he has a history of missing weight, and when he does make weight, a lot of times in big fights, he would need multiple attempts to get down to 130 pounds. But in this one, he he took the extra time in training camp. There were maybe some concerns by some people over the fact that he was wearing a sauna suit so far away from the fight like several several weeks before it was gonna happen and some people were a little concerned with that but I thought to me he erased all the doubts when he came in and even though he technically took off the shorts he came in at under 130 pounds and he looked pretty damn good so that kind of erased all my doubts over how Davis was gonna perform credit to Leo Santa Cruz he brought the fight to Davis and I think Probably did it in a better way than a couple of us thought. He was winning rounds early. He was not willing to sort of weather the storm that Javante Davis is such... You know, he is such a great fighter, especially in the first half of the fight. And both of these guys just matched up very, very well offensively. And I think with Davis, I think now he's starting to understand that, especially for fights at 130 pounds, he's going to need a longer training camp. Just because, you know... It's, it's no secret that, you know, at least prior to the first move up to 135 pounds, he had some trouble making weight. Now, whether it be discipline or whether it be he just didn't have the right team to help him cut weight. But now if it, it seems like it's a different version of Gervonta Davis at 130 pounds. He was telling me after the fight was over that, you know, he feels stronger right now at 130 pounds than when he did when he held the WBA and IBF titles Uh, From 2017 to 2019, so I think that Gervonta Davis is in a better place physically if he were to stay at 130 pounds. And there's a lot of indication that he may be sticking around that way for at least one more fight. So I think that Gervonta Davis was. I think if we matched up the best version of the uh, Santa Cruz and Davis, I think Davis would win that fight maybe nine times out of ten or eight times out of ten. But the weight was an issue. Uh, heading into the fight, and at the weigh-ins, I thought all those doubts or all those issues were resolved, so I had no problem picking Javante Davis winning the fight. I certainly wasn't expecting him to knock out Santa Cruz in the way he did, because Santa Cruz has never really been knocked down, or at the very least, he's never been seriously hurt to the point where, you know, he was going to get stopped or anything like that. He didn't look uh, you know, close, and may have been the Carl Franton fight from a couple of years ago.
2: At- I want to ask you one more question before we move on to another fight, but the the follow-up is that you were on the post-fight press conference with Davis, with Mayweather. Like, how do you, do you enjoy the virtual reality version of this? Because my understanding is you would go to fights that you could make, but you weren't going to be able to make all kinds of fights without the pandemic uh, anyway. So this almost gives you an opportunity to because you cover this stuff so closely to really you know get in there and ask questions if you get chosen like do you like that aspect of of doing that
1: i do for for the most part i do obviously i do miss kind of the the in-person experience i do miss you know getting a credential the physical you know memento from that you would have been in san antonio for this fight no, not at all. No, oh, okay. I, I, I don't expect to, at least personally, to go to any fights. Maybe not even in twenty twenty one, just because of my personal situation, living with my girlfriend who works at a hospital mm-hmm. that is also involved with COVID nineteen testing. So I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, put more people at risk just because I want to cover a fight. But I do like the virtual aspect of it in the sense that a lot of, a lot of times when. We talk about the the build-up to a fight and we look at fighters and all the the media obligations it's almost always with with people within the area like for example like if you talk about a, a matchroom show you don't, you typically we get you know the matchroom people or the people fighting in those shows just talk to uk media and maybe a couple of international guys and that's it But in this one, but during the pandemic, things has now started started to shift a little more towards the international side. You know, prior to the pandemic, you know, I wouldn't be able to get much of a chance to cover and do media stuff on Matchroom UK shows. But through, you know, but the pandemic has kind of given us a chance to be able to speak to fighters from abroad a little more freely. It, because they don't have to go anywhere. it's They have to go to the gym and then they're at home, you know, waiting until their they're, they're next training session or they're just sitting at home pretty much bored waiting for the fight. So it does give us a little bit more of an opportunity. And I think a lot of promotional entities has now started to understand that, you know, with the pandemic and with everyone kind of now moving on to technology and video conferencing, that it's still a very, very good way for... For the media to sort of help cover the fights, I mean, you don't not often you get to see top ranked shows, you know, live stream their their press conferences, and they've been doing that a lot uh, with with some of these Las Vegas shows, and even some of the ones in the UK that they've been co promoting.
2: So back to Davis and Santa Cruz, do you have any gauge on the buy rate? And then secondly do you think Davis has enough of a cachet or of a, a charm his, his style to actually be a pay-per-view draw in this era? Because, you know, obviously smaller guys haven't historically been tremendous draws though. As you get closer to welterweight, yes, you know, and then obviously heavyweight, you know, today is probably the the biggest pay-per-view draw. Um, Unless you know, unless Mayweather and Pacquiao are, 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 are in business, but like, does can he be a guy at either whether it's one thirty, 130, one thirty-five, or I, you know, I imagine he's still young, a young guy. He he could even grow higher, but can he be that that draw? Do you think?
1: I think it will take a concerted effort by Mayweather who really believes in Gervonta Davis as a future star and as a guy that kind of is the the heir apparent to the Mayweather levels of stardom in, in boxing, I think a lot of it right now, it depends on who the opponent is. Because especially early on in these fights, you need guys who are also stars to also match up with Gervonta Davis. And The one issue here is that you look at 130 pounds and you look at 135 pounds and it's pretty fragmented in as far as which promotional entity, network, whatever you want to call it, kind of has the biggest stars. You know, for example, Teofimo Lopez is with top rankings and he's at 135 pounds. But then you also got Devin Haney, who is the WBC title holder. He's with the he's with Matchroom in the zone. But then you go to 130 and all the other belt holders, they're either with top rank or with Golden Boy Promotions. So it will take some co-promotional work to get some of these fights done. And it's very, very hard because, you know, Gervonta Davis, you mentioned, he he is, you know, smaller guys typically aren't the greatest pay-per-view draws. Not saying that Gervonta Davis can't get to that level, and I think that the promotion around Javante Davis as a future star, as the next quote-unquote Mayweather, I think, I, I don't think that he will get to the Mayweather level. But, th- but then again, that's like, it, it would require, you know, a once-in-a-generation, mm-hmm. once-in-a-lifetime type of guy and just everything falling into play just to have someone just even get close to that Mayweather level. I mean, re- The last, like the only couple of guys in the last decade or decade and a half that have gone to that level are De La Hoya, Pacquiao, and I guess to a smaller extent Canelo. But even some of the bigger stars have trouble getting, you know, getting those massive pay per view buy rates. As far as for this one, it's hard to kind of get a gauge on this one, especially with the pandemic and everything, and not that far removed from the Charlo twins pay per view. I can't really put an exact number, but I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being in the high 200,000s, maybe low 300,000s, which kind of does seem to be the the ceiling at the very least for a lot of, you know, PBC, Showtime, uh, pay-per-views that they've been doing the last couple of years.
2: So, I think, uh, you know, the, the pay-per-view thing is, is a little bit interesting because you've, we've seen the UFC have some pretty big shows. Um, I, I, I guess I, you know, AEW on the wrestling side has done mm-hmm. decently that even, even their first pandemic show, I think was uh, maybe the biggest one that they had done. But I'm, I'm so interested because I mean, maybe they feel like if they get to that 300 level that they're fine, but it just seems like uh, the, the, Opportunity to really market guys in front of a larger audience is lost when you do that because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like only 200 people, 200,000 people saw that because there's pirating, there's Twitter, the knockout, you know, was retweeted 5 million times or whatever it was. Yeah, so people, the, the people, YouTube
1: video of it right now as we're recording it was at like 2.2 million views.
2: Yeah, so, so you could still see him do it. I just wonder when you see, you know, the, the ballyhoo of, of live TV, uh, I, I would say it was, I was slightly disappointed in the presentation of, of Lopez Lomachenko just from the aspect of really trying to get those guys out in front of a, a, a wide net of an audience. But then again, we're in the pandemic. So the rules change, but yeah, it is an interesting tactic. And, and it, it seems to me like someone like Davis, you know, maybe, and the other thing is, is we don't really have HBO anymore and, and Showtime is is not doing a whole lot. I mean, they're still doing some, but those used to be other areas because, you know, you, you think of how, you know, Mayweather kind of got brought up and how he showcased and same with De La Hoya. Like, yeah, they're fighting on HBO until they were a draw and then you, you'd you rarely see them on HBO again. But they did utilize HBO a lot and Showtime. so just yeah it's just an interesting time because I'm trying to figure out like what is the right way for these guys to come up you know if Gervonta Davis is the is the guy is this the best way to put him out in front of the largest audience possible
1: yeah and you look at you know some of the other guys who are extremely talented who have tried going pay per view. Terrence Crawford is another great example. You can make a strong case that Terrence Crawford is a top three pound for pound guy, and his two main uh, main event pay per view fights have, you know, as far as Byron is concerned, largely disappointing. Now, granted, the the opponents were not the best for a pay-per-view main event in the world. But the fact remains that Crawford didn't have, doesn't have the best record as far as being a pay-per-view draw. But I think Javante Davis has a better shot at being elevated as a solid, solid draw as far as what you would consider solid in 2020.
2: All right, hang with me for one second. I have to talk about Indeed, one of our uh, one of our sponsors for this show. I was having a conversation today with uh, somebody who uh, is an engineer at a very, uh, a very large uh, Silicon Valley company, let's say. And the discussion came about like, you know, if, if said person uh, ever thought about looking for a new job in this, t- in this pandemic time, right? It's kind of scary to think about, you know, if you have a steady job to think about, you know, doing something else. Um, And we were sort of talking about like, you know, how would you even go about that? Like, how would you even look, you know, all the interviewing is virtual and and, and such. You can't even go into somebody's office and and do an interview. But basically I started thinking about Indeed because indeed.com is the number one job site in the world. Indeed gets you the best people and fast, and unlike other websites, Indeed gives the uh, employer side full control and payment flexibility over the hiring. So you only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time. Uh, and you know they give you some tools that help you make these searches easier. So you know on that side, if, if the, there are you know these tools like Indeed. Are, uh, are very much active. And, and so, you know, just thinking about the job thing, it's probably less scary uh, as far as availability and, and, you know, finding people that than we even realize because of tools like Indeed. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out at Indeed.com slash BlueWire for their free $75 credit. And this is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now, needslotcom slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply and the offer is valid through December 31st. All right, let's look at some of these other fights that I wanted to uh, take a look at. So I don't know exactly the timeframe of like when the ESPN plus show started and when the pay-per-view started. But from my Twitter timeline, it seems like, in a way, knocked out Maloney, like not that much before uh, Davis knocked out Santa Cruz. What was the actual time difference in in the two fights?
1: It was like around maybe 10, 15 minutes. Like that was (laughs) kind of the. The one thing that was, like, a little concerned about it with the Showtime pay-per-view is that all of these undercard fights were going by so quickly. And, you know, had one or even two of them gone the full distance, we probably would have gotten both main events, like, uninterrupted or, or not overlap over one another. But luckily, they uh, we got our knockouts on both shows at different stages of their fights. But it was, like, around 10 minutes in between. Well,
2: how were you dealing? Were you... Did you have both on at the same time or did you go back and, and watch one of them?
1: So I had on on my TV, I had ESPN Plus, so I had it on the TV and then I had the Showtime pay-per-view on my laptop.
2: Mm. So, So you were kind of paying attention to both.
1: Yeah, and I was also in the virtual press conference for for that. It was kind of like going on at the same time, so to speak. So they kind of gave us like a Zoom link, and <laughs> it was pretty much active throughout the entire show. Not necessarily there was much going on during fights, but right. it, it was it was kind of like an easier thing, just kind of have the showtime pay per view on the laptop.
2: Okay, so here, here's here's the the Twitter sphere version of, of the story, uh, kind of what I've read in a way. Is the real deal and he is better than even was as advertised.
1: Yeah, yeah, to me, and I know I'm sorta in the minority in this one, but I honestly consider Naoya Inoue the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Even better than Crawford, even better than Canelo Alvarez. I think that Inoue possesses a level of power and speed. especially at those weights that I have never seen in my entire life. Now, a guy like Chocolatito at the lower weights during his prime was excellent and about as skillful a fighter as you'll ever see. But you put that in a guy like Anyway, maybe just a tiny bit less in terms of skill, but the power and speed is just otherworldly. And the way he takes out top 10 guys, top 5 guys in such short in, you know, almost anticlimactic fashion in a lot of his fights at 118 pounds. It's just something that you don't ever see in boxing, which is unreal. And credit to Jason Maloney. I thought Jason Maloney gave about as good an effort as anyone in his position was going to give. He certainly lasted a lot better than virtually all of the top guys that anyone has faced aside from Nonito Donaire And... But but and I love Jason Maloney and his brother Andrew. But there's a reason why some people consider him the best power fighter in the world. He is undoubtedly a a master at his craft, and his power is just an, at a completely different level. And mind you. This is his first fight coming out of surgery to repair a broken right orbital bone that he suffered during the fight against Nonito Donaire, and he hasn't fought in almost a year, so it kind of is a little even more impressive when you put that into context.
2: What is next for him as far as fights that we should be paying attention to?
1: The fight that has to be made, and this was the fight that was... Done, done, and signed, but the pan, uh, for April, but the pandemic kind of ruined it all. Was a unification fight against John Riel Casimero, who is the WBO champion. Who some of you who watched the Charlo pay per view may have remembered, uh, just taking out Duke Micah in two rounds. And John Riel Casimero, uh, multi division champion. I think a lot of people consider him the number two or even in some cases maybe even been the the 1B to Naoya Inoue's 1A. Casimiro has been on a huge career resurgence ever since he moved back down to 118 pounds. He is... His speed in counterpunching is something to behold. It's a very good type of matchup that fares well against Naoya Inoue. I think Inoue might get the win in that one. I don't think that it's gonna go to the scorecard because both of these guys are so offensive-oriented fighters. And that, to me, that is the best fight that you can make at 118. I think there's still a couple of good fights you can make for Naoya Inoue at 118 pounds before you can start thinking about going to 122 pounds. Hmm.
2: Okay, so uh, the last fight that uh, I'm gonna talk about I didn't – I actually saw less uh, of this than any of them, but it was uh, Yusek and Chisora. And I saw early that a lot of people had uh, Chisora winning the fight I, you know, for like the first half or whatever. And then when I was able to check back in, I saw that Yusek got uh, – won the decision, but it looked like it was a super close fight. And I even saw some scorecards that actually had draw or Chisora winning – so, the casual feedback again here, and tell me if this is wrong, but Yusek looked uh fairly disappointing in a fight that was a, supposed to be a competitive fight, but maybe not one that uh helps his case in in you know whatever the next big fight is for
1: him. It's a very interesting look at Alexander Usyk who I think a, a lot of people who had actually paid close attention to his run as Cruiserweight champion I mean his, his skills his boxing acumen is unquestionably one of the best in the sport today the one issue that I think was very evident early on in the fight was that it wasn't the fact that De Richard Soro was sort of being successful putting a lot of pressure and stepping the gas pedal a lot on trying to end the fight early because I honestly thought that was exactly how the fight was going to go where Usyk was going to circle around Derek Chisora for the first few rounds because Chisora is very dangerous early on in the fight and Usyk is not the best starter in terms of the first few rounds to really kind of get the motor running. But Usyk is a more methodical fighter. He is a guy who... Likes to use his jab, loves to use his footwork to sort of create angles. Kind of more or less in a similar fashion to Vasily Lomachenko. And this fight more than anything proved that Usyk, as far as boxing skills, still one of the best heavyweights today. The one issue is, he came into the fight at 217 pounds, 217, 217 and a quarter. While Derek Zora came in at 255 and a half. That's almost 40 pounds that Usyk has to fight up against. And when you look at the current landscape at the heavyweight division, you look at guys who are, you know, noticeably bigger and heavier than... Alexander Usyk like a Tyson Fury or an Anthony Joshua or even a guy like Deontay Wilder who might not who You know weight wise is more or less right around the ballpark that Usyk is but Wilder is so much longer and so much taller That Usyk is going to have to sort of adjust his fighting style To the point where he's gonna have to contend with heavyweights that wants to put a lot of pressure On a guy like Alexander Usyk and throw his weight around we saw that in the rematch between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder where Tyson Fury had a lot of weight over Deontay Wilder and he was using that early on and it kind of tired out Alexander Us- um, Deontay Wilder, I should say. And it, I wouldn't say it was a similar case with Alexander Usyk and Derek Jisora. But Usyk, I think even he would admit that he has to find a way To not be a slow starter in the heavyweight division. Especially when he's going up against noticeably bigger guys. And even some guys who have a better motor and have better stamina than Derek Chisora. Because I think a lot of us kind of predicted a late stoppage. Including myself. Solely because Chisora was not going to be able to hang with Usyk. And have that same frantic pace that he showed in the first few rounds late in the fight. So... If I'm Usyk, I I would seriously consider, you know, getting that muscle mass up and getting onto the 220s, maybe even low 230s, because if he's not going to be able to get to that point, it will be a very, very tough task if he goes up against a guy like Anthony Joshua. Now, granted, I think Usyk is a smart enough fighter to recognize that that version of Usyk against Jisura won't work against a guy like Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder. I think Usyk is a guy who will look at a fighter and whatever is put in front of him and he'll be able to create some type of game plan for that specific fighter and that's what makes Usyk so good is that he is able to mix things up a little bit and his style is so fluid and so malleable that you can be able to sort of change things up depending on the opponent. I think with a guy again like Anthony Joshua, who Alexander Usyk is the mandatory challenger for at least for Joshua's WBO belt. I think Usyk recognizes that that is a fight where I think he can fight better up close because Joshua doesn't have the greatest defensive skill set when it comes to fighting opponents, uh, you know, at close range. We saw that in the Andy Ruiz fight at Madison Square Garden. So I think that. There's a lot to, of good in Alexander Usyk, but he's going to have to work on something, especially, you know, not getting, uh, not having a slow start. Going to have to up that weight because 217 might, ju- might not just cut it if you don't have like a Deontay Wilder type of power or you're not, you know, as tall as a guy like Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua.
2: Speaking of Deontay... What the hell was the promo that he cut on Tyson Fury? Jeez.
1: Oh, my God. I, I'm i still kind of processing it all. I mean, we, I don't we didn't
2: hear anything about any shenanigans from Fury coming out of that fight. Like, you would think that if there was a problem or if they suspected something, they would have said something right away. But to make that claim in a video... So many months after the fight happened, it just seemed to be like, you know, the worst of of all excuses.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, there was the issue with the, with the whole glove thing. There was there's a very, very small pocket of cons- boxing conspiracy theories that honestly have been kind of throwing the the glove theory mm. around, which I think is completely baseless and just complete nonsense. But the thing that really shocked me was this: how hard he went at Mark Breland, yeah. the trainer that threw, that threw in the towel in that rematch. What did? It, what do you call him? Disloyal, or yeah, a, a like disloyal that. trainer, and I thought that was completely out of line. Like we both we saw what was happening. Yeah. Deontay Wilder was getting beat, and he was getting beat bad. And if he wasn't going to. Uh, if, it, if the towel wasn't going to be thrown in and if Kenny Bayliss wasn't going to stop the fight, Tyson Fury was probably going to knock him out. And I thought that that was such a tone deaf thing for Wilder to say, especially when that fight took place in February. It was not even a year ago where we unfortunately witnessed the deaths of Maxim Dadashev and Patrick Day in the ring where you may have kind of looked back on it and say, well, may- maybe if we are recognized that both of those guys, you know, g- were, were hurt a little bit earlier, maybe both of those guys would still be alive today. I thought that was a very tone deaf thing to say. And and even though fighters, a lot of fighters carry the mentality of I'm going to walk into the ring and I'm going to lay down my life. Doesn't mean the trainer or the referee has to follow that same mentality. The, right. the trainer is there to also protect the fighter. Right. And even though it must sting a lot to lose that WBC heavyweight title, he has to also understand that Mark Breland was looking out for his future outside the ring and for his life. So I thought that was a pretty pretty tasteless thing for Deontay Wilder to say.
2: Um, all right, so uh, before we get out of here... Uh, you've been writing the Road to Undisputed weekly article. You started with the minimum, uh, the minimum weights, and then you went to the light fly weights. So I think the idea is to go through every division and, and give your take on whether or not you see the possibility for an undisputed champion. Uh, how, how's it been? I mean, how is the research on something like that? Like it, it, the, the, the articles are very informative and you're going over every champion and every contender in the division. Uh, but it's, it's, I mean, it seems like it's something, you know, just the idea of an undisputed champion is something that you're really interested in.
1: Yeah. And especially, it's very interesting to take a uh, take a look, especially in this four belt era and, you know, hell, in some divisions, five, six, seven belts. But especially with the lower weight, that's also kind of... Why I wanted to write this series to give attention to those lower weights because there's a lot of incredible talent at 105, 108, and in the, this upcoming piece, 112 pounds, which I'm very, very excited because some of the best fighters, it, you know, hell, pound for pound, top 20 guys, top 25 are at 112 pounds. So it's been a lot of fun just kind of, you know, circling back on divisions that haven't had a lot of attention, especially since the pandemic, because it's been so hard to make big fights happen
2: and then uh you're also uh i know you're kind of getting your website off the ground you're still doing stuff on youtube uh where where are other where else other than at fight game media because you're writing pretty frequently for us but where else are people able to find your stuff and uh and social media and such
1: so, my YouTube channel is simply Carlos Toro Media, where I post interviews and podcasts and recaps of events and fights. You know, just on my channel, you know, posted last night was the quick chat I had with Javante Davis and Floyd Mayweather right after Davis beat Leo Santa Cruz. And there a couple of, you know, a couple of interviews there with, you know, guys with people like Undisputed Champion jessica mccaskill bob arum on a couple of occasions actually guys like the charlos stephen espinosa a lot of different people you know if in boxing and i've also do write stuff for nyfights.com where i've done a couple of pieces on mayweather promotions and savior martinez who's coming off a phenomenal win over claudio Morero on showtime i think it was like a week ago or a little more than a week ago at this point and you can follow me on twitter at carlos toro 360 the website that i kind of working on it's kind of basically like a nice little place where if there are no places for a certain type of content that i'm writing i'm just gonna dump it on there but it's carlos toro 293.wixsite.com and it's a and you know it's a nice little place where I can put on some some different types of contents that uh, might not fit into some of the other places that I usually write for. So you, you'll definitely see me around covering boxing on on a lot of different platforms.
2: We need to get the carlosmedia.com dot com URL. What's going on with that? We can't be Wix <laughs> two seven five like it's got like that brand. You got you got the
1: YouTube channel. You got to get the URL. You know what? That's something I never thought about. It's funny because so I was thinking about, you know, Carl Star Media was going to be the placeholder name, but then, you know, the more i working on it, it's like, you know what? It might as well be be it's, be the actual name of it. So, hey, hey, you know, maybe by the time I'm back on the Fight Game podcast, maybe we'll actually have a, an actual URL. It was just a nice little thing, you know. Not wasn't thinking about buying, like, a domain name, but at this point, I might as well have to.
2: No, I mean, I think, I think it's just good to, and, you know, I don't, I I don't think, you know, not to say you have to like change your Twitter name or anything, but like, just like, like the brand, right? Like you're, you're young in your career and you're doing some really great work that people need to find it because, you know, you're still early in the game. And one way that they're going to find it is if you kind of just own that brand. So I think it's, I think it's a good idea to, you know, really try and, uh, and secure all of the stuff, you know, for 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 that. If that's if that is what you choose to be, you know, the the, the name or the brand is is Carlos Toro Media.
1: You know that you know you you're putting on a very very compelling case. <laughs> I might just take it.
2: Well, uh, we will hear more of you uh, as well. We you know we have a we have a couple irons in the fire, and I do plan on working with uh, with Carlos. Some more, you know, my whole thing is I just, I love working with passionate people who know their stuff and you, Robert Silva as well, Justin Nipper, John LaRocca, those are the guys, you know, that I I really enjoy doing this stuff with. So, um, you know, we're we're going to keep working together and we're going to do some fun stuff. So uh, just want to say, you know, Check Carlos out, and he's doing really great work uh when we edit his stuff. Justin Nipper helps me edit and and Justin just goes, Wow, <laughs> like, <laughs> like t- the stuff is so good that he's like not even touching anything, so good job and uh, we'll hear more from you really soon and before I take it to the next uh the next segment, which is me and John talking w c w Saturday night Carlos can hang with me for a second here because of course. We have to talk about bet online. I imagine there was lots of money uh, on Gervonta Davis on Saturday night.
1: A lot of money on on a lot of the fights to, uh, this weekend.
2: Yeah, you could you know I, no upsets or anything. So it's not like if you if you were to bet underdogs, but you know the, I, I think the the smart people probably did fairly well this weekend. Uh, so. Bet online, going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all in one word Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, thanks to Carlos. Let's send it to uh, myself and John Laraga talking WCW Saturday night, 1992, including. Halloween Havoc. We do talk about the Halloween Havoc. Spin the wheel, make the deal. And uh, you'll hear that next. All right, John. Jim Ross has been selling us on this Halloween Havoc. Spin the wheel, make the deal. They've been hitting us over the head with the promotion of this show. And we got to watch it back. I remember watching it live, thinking that it was particularly bad. But back then, when I watched wrestling, I was always looking for like the good stuff in it, so that mm. I could, you know, if one of my dad says, "Why do you watch this stuff?", I'll, I could give him something. <laughs> this was a little harder, you know. Outside of maybe the first two matches, this was a little bit harder to find really the the good stuff in in this show.
0: Um. Yeah. You know, it was a little bit better than I expect. I remembered actually. Of certain matches. It could have been great. I think what really was a show killer was the uh, Masa Chono Rick Rude match. Mm-hmm. Really brought this show to a, like a, a screeching halt. And I think Chono is seriously hurt in this match. I think he's not 100%. I'm pretty sure 92 was a year that he hurt his neck. I think it was September of 92. That Steve Austin game that. You know, kind of weird fate because he ends up hurting mm-hmm. um, our own heart ends up hurting with the same move. But uh, you know, the, the 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 tombstone piledriver um, in Japan, Steve Austin hurt Masochono on that move, and you know, obviously he continued to wrestle. I think he had I think he had surgery. and he ended up changing his style later on. But here, I think he was just gutting it out. And I don't know if Chono really wanted to do much. There's one point in this match where Chono goes... Rick Root comes off the top rope to the axe handle or or form. And I don't know what the hell Chono was doing, but he moved out of the way. And and then Root had to, like, drop down to his feet and then give him, like, the double crisscross chop to the throat. And um, I've never seen a match where two guys are talking to each other the whole time. I mean, they're, they're obviously talking to each other if you're... You know, if you're not knowing what to look for, but like I can tell, like you know, Ruse talking to him and seeing what he can do and what's going on, and Ruse also getting frustrated, and I think that just really just took the crowd out of the whole the rest of the show. Even though they did get up for Sting and and um, Jake Roberts because they were, of course, the two big stars on the show, but um, I think it really hurt Barbarian and Run Simmons more really because that's what followed this. But that was just a really bad match considering these guys that same year rick Rude and masa chono at the g1 had a great final right mm-hmm. chono won the title so um i just yeah i think the injury is just it's just i think chono couldn't really so, do much out there
2: he was trying to but i it was been really in struggling. the Obs- in the observer dave calls it a pinch nerve so you may be right that he's dealing with the neck already and he said uh he was basically saying that um Rude was frustrated. He like this is Dave's impression, which was that Rude was frustrated because Chono wasn't the Chono that he had expected. Uh, so that that's kind of interesting because you know it's a, it's a it's a really big match for Rude, right? But for mm-hmm. Chono, his his bigger match is going to be in Japan, not necessarily in the United States. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, so I I mean I completely agree with you one hundred percent, which is that. This show kind of dies at that point, but there were other things that led to that death. Now, we were told Rick Rude's going to face uh, Nikita Koloff in, in the first match, and they're going to have two matches, and then Bill Watts has to come on TV and go, well, you know, because of lawyers or whatever he said, you know, mm-hmm. R- Rude got out of the match, and and but he gets to pick... You know his his own guy, and and so we're gonna pick like the best wrestler in the whole company to face Nikki Koloff. Like, that is. That one is a little hard to take, even as, a, even as a pro wrestling fan, where a lot, you know, stuff like that happens from time to time. That felt not, not that I have any problem with Big Van Vader wrestling on, on a pay per view, but, you know, if you were thinking that Nikita was winning that title that night, you're like, okay, he's not really winning this match. There's no way he's going to lose to Vader. So that, that kind of, if you're a Nikita fan, I'm sure that probably bummed you out. Um, you know, it's funny. I actually thought Nikita was still
0: winning as a kid. I thought like, oh man, he's going to beat Vader and Rude's going to be pissed and he's, you know, there's an issue there, right? Yeah. But um I remember, but I I remember as a kid I liked this. I remember thinking, oh my, oh man, Rude got out of another thing, right? And I think this would have been great too if they would led to Rude versus Bill Watts or something mm-hmm. like that down the line, mm-hmm. which they never did. Mm-hmm. Um but um, at least we got a great match. I thought that match was really good for the time it was. Yeah, the uh,
2: match was the match was pretty good, and I've been pretty hard on Nikita for uh, for this time frame. But you know, he, that, I mean, the match was fine. It was probably like maybe like the third or fourth best match on the show. I don't think he really wanted to take that power bomb.
0: No, <laughs> and I think he got hurt on that power bomb. Actually, I mean, we the show after this is. We're reviewing the, the full show in a second On WWE Saturday Night it was actually taped before Halloween Hack, Yes Right? Yes yes. So um, I think this is Nikita's last match in the company I think he like I think they said like some kind of hernia I don't know But whatever I think he was really messed up from that powerbomb He landed really awkward And he was trying to like reach back Which is one thing you don't do I don't think he's used to being the guy That gets picked Mm-mm, up power powerbombs Not at all so, uh, but other than that, I thought the match was great. The crowd was super hot for it. Um, Vader looked good. Um, he looked massive. Um, yeah, he, the, he had put on weight because he was hurt, right? Oh, really? Okay. Um, but yeah, she just looked massive, but he still moved. I think, God, dude, he was hurt. Like, what was he hurt? Like an arm injury or? Wait, whatever that injury was that for, that we talked about, broken wrist or whatever. I don't know. But he looked, he looked, I mean, he looked good. I mean, all those things looked. And I'd like, crowd was just going nuts for that match, especially even like even like you and I like. It's now we cuz we watched wrestling for all these years now. Now we now when the guys up against a tur- uh, a ring post on the outside, the guys charging <laughs> is going to run into it, right? Like 99% of the time. Like even then I would think people were f- like people were like freaking out. Like <laughs> the look on these the front row and they're like, "Oh, people are just crushed when Nikita just, you know, missed a sickle and hit the ring post." Uh, I thought that was so cool seeing this, like, those fans so passionate about it.
2: I th- I think this crowd gets a little bit of a bad rep because they're basically rooting for the heels in the first match but if you had johnny gunn who was booed in his first wcw saturday night (laughs) and 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 if unless you watch that match you have no idea who he is and Zenk is cooled off right so Mm. so if you're rooting for babyfaces it's shane douglas but the problem with shane douglas is he's absolutely 100 the white meat of all white meat babyfaces Mm. And so you've seen Arne Anderson before. You've seen Beautiful Bobby. You've seen Michael Hayes. Those guys are heels that you actually like. So the booking was kind of funky on this one. Yeah. And of course they're you know Arne is like soaking in the cheers. Uh, like he's like hell yeah, yeah.
0: But, go. I mean well, that's something you don't see even today. Like actually putting your ear to the crowd and going with it. And hey, well, he's peace part. He's just like what the hell? They're gonna cheer for me. I'm gonna play into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know. Yeah, this crowd. I think it. Uh, what is it? Maybe maybe it felt like a smarter crowd, right? I think Philadelphia has always been the kind of smarter crowd, and I think they've always liked. I think Aaron and and Bobby have always been popular in in that in Philadelphia. So it was one of those. But I thought the match was good. Yeah, yeah I liked it, a, it. It was a fun six man tag. The the opening, the f- like the first part of the show was good. Um, the match that was, I remember being like disappointed in it when I first saw it and I was watching as it was going, I'm like, God, oh, this match is really damn good. Was these, uh, Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes versus, uh, Steve Williams and Steve Austin match. But then the whole thing with the time limit draw, and mm-hmm. the, the, that, that, that's what I remember. That's what killed it. Okay. But everything else leading to that was like really freaking good.
2: It, it was a really good match. And, you know, the, 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 but the, again, the problem is, is you are promoting Doctor Death and Terry Gordy, mm-hmm. and then you have to explain that you know as as, as much as you can explain that basically Terry honest, Gordy though. Terry Gordy quits, right? Yeah, he's pretty honest. He didn't
0: show, right? And he didn't. So, I mean. I mean, other than saying he quit, he I don't want he wouldn't wanna he wanna we want to, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't wanna heal the company. Why why would this guy quit the company, right? So him not showing up, I mean he got a barry guy a little bit for doing that. So I was okay. But, I mean, with is it. It, was there a better guy to put in that match than Austin? Probably no, not, right? I don't think so. I think I would have been you know, the fans cheered it. When he said it, when, when Bill Watts announced that Steve Austin would be the place where they, they cheered it, so... Steve that, Williams and Steve Williams on the same team. Yeah, that was, that was funny. Um, and the first, like I said, the first 20 minutes, whatever it was, I think it went to a 30-minute Broadway.
2: I don't know if it was a legit 30 minutes, but... Uh, uh, Meltzer's report was that it was actually over 30 minutes, like oh, by 30 did, seconds.
0: Did it, go, did it go over 30? Well, shit. Um, uh, but I thought the at least the first 20 were fantastic and the finish should have been, I know I, this is, this is my, this is my thinking. This is what I think would happen. I think Bill Watts said, we're going to have a replacement. It's going to be Steve Austin. People are probably just going to think Steve Austin's taking the fall, Mm -hmm. right? Let's do a draw and let's do a little shenanigans, you know, to kind of, keep people off their feet, but I think they should have just done with it with Steve Austin losing here. I think at his time in his career at WSW at this point, I think it would have been okay for him to lose here. And I think the match was going to be really great if they would have had a clean cut finish. I don't think people would have been disappointed who lost the fall, right? They would have just been happy they saw a great match. Mm-hmm. And you know, when Dustin came and hit the bulldog, I think that should have been the finish, but a little more longer finishing sequence than what they did. I think they could have, you know, I think they that could have been a really hot finish with Dustin getting the pin, you know, or maybe even, uh, you know, or they could, have, they didn't really tease a lot of, uh, dissension between Barry Wynnum and Dustin Rhodes here. They're, well, that,
2: that was what I was saying is, is that they really went away from that story. And the other thing they didn't mention is that Austin, you know, had been in a team with mm-hmm. Pillman and, and Pillman and Steamboat had a really fun match uh, early in the show. But, you know, the, the because I, you know, this is all unexpected, they don't have storyline written out. So there's like no real reason why Stone Cold or Studding Steve is, is the pick, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, he's supposed to be the Pillman, but he's really the best guy that you could possibly put there, so I, is- I mean, I, I, loved, I loved him as the pick for that match, but, you know, going 30 is tough, right? Like, even you know even after the first 20 you're like okay the first 20 was good maybe the last 10 wasn't fantastic but still was a good match yeah I, w- I wish they
0: would have done something where they teased a little dissension there's kind of some kind of miscommunication probably could have been great for the finish like you know Barry and Dustin doing some kind of double team but you know Austin moves and Dustin hits Barry now there's an argument there and and you know Austin tries to run up run at him as take advantage as they're they're being um, you know as they're arguing between Dustin and Barry but they kind of you know shit can Steve Austin out of the ring but then there's Steve Williams he's gearing up for he's gearing up to like do his big shoulder tackle to Dustin as he runs at Dustin Barry shoves Dustin out of the way and then Dustin you know uh, uh Barry gets hit with a shoulder tackle Dust Barry takes the big bump out of the ring and then Austin slides back in you know bi- you know Dustin gets a big drop kick to Steve Williams knocks him out now it's Austin and Rose and they have a little hot interaction and all of a sudden boom a big bulldog one two three like that would have been fire man like something like that would have been cool to see at the end I wish they would have had the ice finish I think I think we would have been rocking and rolling here. But um but then we you know unfortunately the match after that was the rooted Maza here at Chono, but
2: Yeah. You was, know you know the rating Meltzer gave on that match? The uh, tag match? No, no, no. The um the Chono match.
0: Mm. Well it was probably it should be one of his infamous duds, right? I
2: think. <laughs> negative three stars. <laughs> wow, jeez, there's a negative scale. I know it was <laughs>
0: Just I thought that Dud was worse than gay. Yeah. Uh,
2: he doesn't. He doesn't really do negative s- stars anymore. So that I that, that was one just, kind of made, made me he laugh. Was just, he was just probably irritated. Um, what do uh, you think of so, Barbarian and Ron Simmons? Um, kind of the things that that we were a little worried about going into it. Like, is Barbarian a contender? Is he? You know, R- Ron Simmons has to have what? W- what is you know a world title match? Like, is he? Is he going to have that kind of match with someone like the Barbarian? And and no, he didn't. Though, if you were to tell me that, you know, Ron Simmons and Barbarian could just go out there and slug it out and have like this, you know, two gigantic dudes have a match. If there was no world title at stake, I'd have been like, ah, oh, this was totally fine, you know, heading into a, as a match on the show. But with those steps, and you know, Barbarian did not feel like a number one contender uh, that. A lot of that had to do with his previous part of his career, though. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was. It was. It, I don't think it was even as explosive as it could have been. So I, I was sort of like, "Ah, eh, it was okay." But then when you add the, you know, this is for the world title, then it kind of brings it down a little bit. I think it, it got really
0: hurt by the 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 stench of the Rick Rude Masahiro Chono match. Um, I think they they worked hard to get a reaction they finally got a reaction when you know when you actually protect something when it happens it gets reaction when when uh barbarian went up the top to hit the missile bolt headbutt Mm -hmm. when he hit it people rumbled like oh dude you know like they they they, they, in those last couple weeks they got that move over and it was you know when simmons kicked out they 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 get a good reaction to that so um i think they just i think the fans were just, just deflated after that that Rude and a match I think it took a while To get into it Because they got They got into it Towards the end Right um, But uh, yeah I think I think that was the issue With that match personally But also I don't think Anyone really Really was Obviously didn't think Barbarian was winning But I think they They did They had a match A good match laid out Personally I think They They think they probably Should have started off A little hotter With I mean they wanted to be even You know guys both Close on each other No one's giving an inch Shoulder tackles No one's giving an inch Maybe it should have been more of a brawling all over the kind of ring and then maybe even into the stands kind of thing. Not like ECW, but, you know, over the guardrail, you know, a little bit just to get the fans up because of what just happened. (laughs) You know, the previous match, uh, I think you kind of had to throw an audible like, hey, we got to do something hot here to get this back Mm -hmm. into it because they just saw a stinker. Yeah, and
2: then main event, Sting and Jake, which, you know... Jake is really smoke and mirrors at this point. He is gigantic promo. He is presence. He is, uh, you know, not going to have a great match inside the ring, though he'll have a smart match. And they handicapped the hell out of themselves with this Coal Miner's Glove match where in order to get this Coal Miner's Glove thing, you had to climb Mm -hmm. a post that looked like it was, like, six or seven (laughs) feet in the air. And the only way Sting was able to get this thing was he literally had to climb the pole like we used to have to climb in junior high school. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he jumped on that thing. He was struggling to get up there. and In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, like, Jake is pretty tall, but how the hell is Jake going to climb this pole to get (laughs) this glove? Like, there's no way. I would say... What a ridiculous, like, stipulation for that.
0: I would say... Obviously, for ever since I first saw that, you know, the disappointment of the match tip, right? But rewatching it, it wasn't a bad match. It was a bad finish. The the finish sucked. The match itself, leading up to that point, was really well done. Obviously, you know, you know, Jake is such a smart worker. You know, smart, smart match makes it makes a great match in my opinion. They have really good chemistry together. Like, they really worked well together. Jake is heavier, and they really kept it short and crisp. I thought the psychology was great. I mean, as much as we crap on the Coal Miners glove match, like, when Sting shimmied up that pole, people were popping. They were on their feet. They were. It, they was, that was a big reaction. It wasn't like they were, like, upset about what was – they were into the match. It was just that damn cobra spot. And Sting's awkward punch, you know, that led to the Cobra. I know. That's where just that's that's the the exact point
2: where this match. So so, so the whole the whole reason is the person who gets this glove can use it. And Sting punches Jake while Jake is turned around, Mm -hmm. not even facing him because Jake is getting his his little snake. So he's not turned around. And instead, where you get that big punch right in the face and Jake could sell being knocked out. Instead, he punches Jake like in the, the leg or like in the hip or something. And then it causes the snake that, that Jake is trying to handle to kind of go nuts. And I don't know if the snake was supposed to latch onto him, but he's like he kind of holding it. it. He and then you know, he's like controlling it, trolling it and then it latches onto the face and, you know, we, we see him and then sting pins him after that. But I, so what were your thoughts on why they did the thing with the snake? Because Meltzer has an interesting thought in the newsletter about what Jake was actually trying to do in that moment.
0: Well, I thought they're building to the stakes involvement, right? He hasn't used the snake at all, at least other than that. That's the first time he attacked. Sting. I don't even remember him using putting the stank on the job guys after matches, right? I don't think he. We saw
2: him do that, and I think he did it once. Mm. Like maybe the first time, first one of the first times he came in, I think he did. He may he maybe not have put it on the job he guy, but he may Sting. have like, yeah, right. when
0: he tacked him. That's That's where I, that's where I, yes. I don't remember him doing to like the job guy like he would do in WWF. Um, but I well if I if I'm watching it day like i'm like okay they're the i would i would believe i wouldn't kind of feel like okay the cobra's gonna come to the finish somehow right i think this is a way to do the snake stuff for this is what bill watts i think was going for like we'll do this this will it will do it one time and it'll mean something but then this is when we can ban it and there's a reason for it right banning all the snake stuff um i just think the, the execution was poor i think you know, at the same time, Sting gets the the coal miner's glove. You know, obviously Jake should be getting the Cobra, and as he turns to go get Sting, that's when Sting nails him right in the face. And then this, as Jake falls back, the Cobra should latch onto him, I guessing. You know, but mm-hmm. I, but that rib shot that Sting <laughs> did, and and it, I, it it was like it was like right when that punch happened, the mashes fell apart, and then the fans
2: couldn't couldn't get into it, you know. All right, so Meltzer's theory was that you know, back then wins and losses meant a lot. Mm-hmm. And Jake it would be his first loss on t- on television. And so Meltzer, he theorized that because Jake was losing, he does the stunt at the end and the fans kind of forget that he actually lost the match. Yeah, of course. But he also said that the whole reason for Jake to lose is so that Sting wins this match and so if if Jake is doing that, he's actually taking away
0: mm-hmm.
2: for Sting's victory which is probably like, you know, some sort of old trick, but that, you know, that that it was more of like a kind of like a protecting himself kind of thing.
0: It's it was I don't, I don't think Jake came up with this idea on his own. I mean maybe he did, but I think it was a way cuz back then you when guys would lose on television, they would do things like that to protect them, right? Mm-hmm. So they're getting a job out of Jake, but also Jake gets to, you know, you're still thinking about him at the end of the show like, "Oh, I hope he survives, you know, the anti-venom." Hope oh, they had that anti-venom on hand, you know, they're talking about. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a little, you know, kind of the game you kind of play. If I was me, if he was being a pain in the ass, and obviously he's no showing how it shows and being difficult and showing yeah, up. And it, like he goes to rehab in like two weeks or something. Yeah, showing up drunk or whatever, high at matches. I'm not booking no damn cold Myers glove. Well, I'm booking a cage match with Sting mm-hmm. locking the Scorpion Deathlock right in the center on, on Jake. And saying, "Oh yeah, don't worry, man. We'll we'll definitely." But I think Jake might have been smarter and probably wouldn't show up. But I wouldn't tell him <laughs> that. And so
2: I say, "Yeah, it's a cool money. Oh, we're changing it to cage match." Well, well case that case. that's what uh, Hammer Valentine did. He he was he was supposed to lose to Sting, saw that it was only a four minute match, looked at the bookings for the rest of the TV show, and was like, "Oh, I'm not on any of these shows. Mm-hmm, I'm not mm-hmm. going to do this job," and walked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, so because of this show. Uh, Meltzer has quite the paragraph about this company. And then look, both companies are way down. WWF is way down. WCW is way down. Mm -hmm. This show actually, at least for the early buy rate, that buy rate was good for this show. So all the stuff that they did, the intrigue was well well done because there was interest in it. But here's what he wrote. He said, Based on every imaginable criteria to judge, Bill Watts's reign thus far has been a failure. It's not just a bad pay-per-view show. It's hardly just losing some name talent with more losses to come. It's not the morale problem. It's the lack of direction. The change in philosophy has gone from going from no philosophy to even less concept of no philosophy. Nothing is being built for the future. No ideas are being built for the concept for a concept for a future, it's just scatterbrained seventies ideas and concepts thrown out so fast that even if they weren't outdated, which some are, and I think he's mostly talking about, uh, the, the racism stuff. Yeah. Um, They are still being grounded out in a manner which they couldn't work. Turns are decided upon, started and then dropped in the middle. So are storylines. Characters are dropped, then brought back as if they weren't dropped and buried. Once again, title belts are given to wrestlers who have already made it clear they are leaving the promotion for God only knows what reason. I think he's talking about Scott Steiner and then they leave the promotion. The turns that do happen come out of nowhere with no storyline and angles that make no sense. A man is made world champion simply because of his skin color, because of a mistaken antiquated notion about how that will draw black fans to pro wrestling matches, which is now beginning to set off a new low in race baiting angles. Every criticism of Titan and every way that WCW was supposed to set a new direction and a new course for this business has been exposed as a fraud. Every statement on steroids has been exposed as nothing but hot air, which was only made worse when Jim Ross spoke of the other guys having the posers. While Watts proclaimed that WCW was going back to wrestling the real deal and needing to bring credibility back to the product on his first pay-per-view show... That he was willing to take full responsibility for because previous shows he was willing to blame his predecessors because wheels for those shows were already in motion before he got there, even though in the case of The Bash, he was in charge from start to finish for all the television buildup of the show. We heard announcers talking about anti-venom, a snake chewing on a man's cheek. A string of rough bump finishes, a major no-show, the most blatant example of bait-and-swish advertising in recent pay-per-view history, and finishing off with the destruction of the credibility of every major singles title in the promotion. Dave was Dave was on one on this show. He did he not pissed. like this show at all.
0: I wish he would review AEW
2: like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he reviews some of the WWE stuff like this on Raw when he sees mm-hmm. that same stuff happen. But, um, okay, so WCW Saturday night i was like okay just got done watching halloween havoc there was some good wrestling but it was like really mind-boggling in some other ways and this airs on halloween this airs on halloween this show was really boring <laughs> yeah yeah
0: it was kind of it was just a show i mean you think on a if they had something that was going to air on halloween they would have some
2: kind of uh halloween theme or some kind the, of fun with it you know there was nothing and you know, uh, the, uh, Jesse made that great joke on Halloween Havoc because he was in costume and Jim Ross wasn't. And he was like, oh, my gosh, you have the scariest costume. <laughs> you know, the, you scared me so much. Like, that stuff is funny. Um, but then they didn't do anything on this show. So, like, other than the fact that I think they they did mention it was Halloween, but there was nothing that, you know, no fans were dressed up. So you knew, like, okay, this wasn't actually Halloween. But, um, yeah, not not nothing really going on. It was a really, like... You know, let's, we, we're not going to introduce anything and, you know, we're not going to really push anything. I, I wonder if they just didn't know what was going to happen because of all the influx of changes that were going well, on. Well, they did, they had some inset
0: promos and stuff they filled at
2: Philadelphia that
0: night, right? The Jake Roberts promo was filled that night, um, Sting promo, all the promos for Keenan Cable was, you know, filmed that night. I think, I think they could have done, I think a lot of these times, you know, because these shows are taped in advance, and it's, they don't know exactly what's going to act. You know, things can change at a pay-per-view, obviously. you know, um, Obviously, you know, Terry Gordon didn't show up or yep. quit. So I think they kind of keep it simple coming out of the pay-per-view at the, at during this time. I, But yeah, I would have had something a little more cooking. But um, we did get a really good match towards the end of the show, I thought, for
2: a surprisingly good match. You're talking about the main event? Yeah, that match,
0: that really took me by surprise.
2: The main event was okay, and we'll get to that in a second, which is Eric Watts versus Bobby Eaton. And I do think the match was good, but there is this feeling that we never asked for Eric Watts, and we're not even sure if we think Eric Watts is good But Bill Watts is going to force him down our throats. And and whether we like it or not, Eric Watts is like akin to vegetables, I think, for a lot of the people who are watching at this time. (laughs) Like, I I thought that match was fine. Um, The finish was absolutely horrendous, but he was okay. What was not okay was the little promo they did, you know, halfway through the show, which was maybe the single worst thing on that show. That was bad. Yeah, no, I agree. And I have my notes on that. All right, let's quickly get to this. So uh, the first match was uh, Vinny Vegas against Bagwell, Mark Alexander Bagwell. This is a rematch. Um, the, there is a theme on these shows, which is the chop block. Like that is the move <laughs> du jour in order to get heat. And they actually even did it in this match, but they had the baby face do the chop block because, mm-hmm. v- Vinny Vegas is this gigantic guy, and Mark Alexander Bagwell is trying to chop down the tree. Vinny Vegas, I think, I think did he come off the top rope and like, and like her, his le- hers her leg, yeah. And so then Bagwell goes into chop block mode, so he's he's like going low, he's hitting these shoulder tackles on the leg, and mm-hmm. he's trying to, um, you know, he, he's trying to continue to work on the leg. Vegas is selling the knee the entire match. Bagwell goes to the top rope one too many times, gets caught, eats a snake eyes and loses. Interesting that um at least for me, interesting that the 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 way that they were trying to to get Bagwell, you know, to get the fans behind him was to to make Vinny Vegas even less mobile than he actually was. Like, he's he's not the most mobile guy, so they made him less mobile, which made the match not great. But the psychology was you know, this young babyface who has almost zero chance to win this match. Let's give him, you know, let's give fans the reason to think that he maybe can win this match, which is to injure the other guy.
0: Yeah, I didn't like this match. It was just too long. I didn't like Kevin Nash or Vinny Vegas selling his knee because. He's just really green at selling. Yeah, he's not good a, at it. I don't want to see a seven footer sell like this for a longer match. Um, I would have kept it shorter, faster. Um, kept Bagwell hot in the beginning, and finally gets cut yeah. off and fights from behind. But then you know, Vinny Vegas finally wins. I, I think the chop block is in vogue at this time because oh it yeah, just, it just got banned in ninth, that same year, right for the NFL. I think Jim Ross mentions that. I think in the uh, Pillman match um he mentions that it got uh, banned so i think you know bill watts being a big football guy i think they're like hey this is a good way to get well for hey, <coughs> excuse me uh, to get heat for a heel but yeah it was kind of funny to see marcus back will use it to get you know but i mean it just to me the old chop block i just I always got used to rick flair doing it all the time mm-hmm. to the guy so it wasn't
2: as controversial to me johnny b bad is back he's so pretty we haven't seen we haven't seen Johnny in a little while. But he comes back, he does an interview, gets interrupted by Scotty Flamingo. Scotty Flamingo is doing a Dusty Rhodes impersonation because he is trying to out pretty Johnny B bad, who is telling everyone that they need to stay in school, and they're setting up something, but Johnny Flamingo sort of out uh outdoes Johnny B. Bad's gimmick to him, and it causes Johnny B. Bad to get a little flustered. Mm-hmm. But uh is <laughs> cracking me up because I'm like, oh, he's just doing Dusty Roads. This is kind of funny. Yeah,
0: all of a sudden he's doing like a flamboyant gimmick. It was mm-hmm. he had makeup on and very
2: weird, weird stuff. Shanghai, Pierce, uh, and Tex Lassenger against Rex Cooper and David Lynch. They are continuing to use that reverse DDT to win their match so they've got a few wins on their resume on this television show they they probably, probably going to need to up the competition a little bit here soon yeah yeah they're just
0: establishing them as a new heel team and you know decent squatch. i think they've that one guy one jobber was pretty bad i think they kind of they kind of roughed him up a little
2: bit <laughs> Yeah, there, there's this, uh, supposedly this, doc not, not a doctrine, but Watts was telling the guys in the back, he's like, look, take it easy, a little bit easier on these these job guys. Like, you guys are killing these dudes. Well, yeah, because they don't want any
0: lawsuits going their way, you know? Like, the is this Joe Thurman already happened already? or?
2: Yeah, the Vader had already dropped him. Yeah, man. Uh, Flying Brian against James Clontz. This is where we get another chop block. And uh, I think Brian wins it right off of the chop block. Yeah. With the finish. Yeah. Um, um, decent little match
0: that James Klontz with one of the worst names in wrestling history. <laughs> um, looked like a decent worker, though. You know, it's looked like a pretty easy guy to work with and knew who he's doing in there. So that was that was cool. But yeah, the chop block. because That's when I think Watts did say the line about the NFL recently banning it. So I'm like, oh, OK, I get it now.
2: And then uh, Shane Douglas uh, comes out. He This will not be the last time these guys see each other. Uh, that Watts does an interview. Um, and he kind of, he's like, does the interview to make the excuse for what was going on. He bans the reptile. I think he ke- mm-hmm. keeps calling it. No more reptiles in WCW. He mentions the Vader thing again. And so he's trying to make sense of of certain things that happen on the show. Uh, Then they talk about King of Cable. So King of Cable is coming. I think we have our first King of Cable matches on the next show. You know the next show is three hours? Really? Yes. Is
0: that a mistake? We have
2: commercials involved? No, no, no. no. So so it's actually... uh, I think the two-hour shows are... Uh, eighty-four minutes or something. So just under ninety minutes. Huh. So this actually, this so the uh, the reason why I said it's it's a third hour is because it gets to the actual two-hour mark completely. So it's a full wow. two-hour show for us. Wow, crazy. Very. And crazy. then, uh, so that. so King of Cable, we'll, uh, I think we get Sting and Flying Brian next week. And I think Barry Windham and Rick Root supposedly.
0: So. Um, I thought this little preview was good. I thought it was great. The the promos, quick little promos, uh, hyping up the tournament. I, I thought it was really well done. And I was, yeah, you know,
2: I, I like this stuff. This is this is good stuff. So they they say uh, on the little Chiron, it says Johnny Gunn making his debut. And I was like, wait, we saw him we saw last, last week, week <laughs> and he was at the pay per view. Yeah. What the hell? Whoops, whoops. <laughs> and then so the eric watts segment that i just mentioned i wrote one sentence eric watts is a dork that's all i wrote this was so bad they're shooting him at an angle to where all you see is his upper body his chest and you're looking up at him and he's turning away from the camera and he's talking about stuff like leadership and just stuff that you're like wait this dude is a rookie like he's a rookie wrestler why is he talking about stuff like leadership it just did not it was it was so bad he came off as a heel to me that's that mm-hmm. camera shot it's like a, a heel
0: camera shot or or for a giant i mean he's what 6'5 but like he's no Andre the Giant right so yeah this is this is this is bad
2: um and then we had the Johnny Gunn match against Fred Avery that happened. Johnny Gun wins, uh, and then they do this long recap of of everything we would just seen. If you're a, a fan of this show, recap of all the Rick Rude U.S. title stuff, setting up the Medusa and Paulie at the Halloween Havoc, where you know Paulie's just ripping on her, and she finally just throws that kick and knocks him down. They're setting up something for Clash, I think. Mm-hmm. And then they recap the racist angle. Because they're setting up Cactus Jack against Robbie Walker, which I I thought that was a a pretty fun match. Uh, But it's Cactus's first match in a very long time. We haven't seen him because he'd been hurt. And you know, I I got to this moment; it hit me. I was like, "Wait, are we? Do we blame Cactus for all the dives to the floor? Because he does that front flip onto onto Robbie Walker on the outside." And I was like, "Man, maybe he like who else did that stuff before him?" Um, he did it. Um,
0: the juniors did dives. Liger did the Liger dive and all that kind of stuff. And before that in Japan, those, those tapes were circling around. So, um, dynamite did did dives. You know, he did, would do like a biscotto here and there. You know, we've done that. Um, who else? Um, Muda, Mm -hmm. right? Muda did the dive. He did the springboard dive to the floor. So yeah, there's a couple of them. did uh, Jimmy Snuka dive on a Don Morocco, like uh, Bill Nairf. you remember that, seen that clip. So uh, there's been dives before, but yeah, um, but I couldn't believe he's doing a freaking
2: somersault off the apron after he's coming back from his injury. <laughs> like he's already I know. Doing... So so he does that move, and it actually is a logical lead to the finish because you know after Robbie Walker takes this move from this 300 pound dude doing a front flip onto mm-hmm. him. And then cactus just rolls him into the ring, double arm DDT, boom! Robbie Walker, your first loss. This is what you get for sticking up for racism, yeah. against racism.
0: This is uh, match. This is the kind of match that Eddie Kingston should have had on AEW this, on this past this past Wednesday. Something decisive, right? Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is exactly what this match should have been. But yeah, Robbie Walker. Yeah,
2: thanks. <laughs> now you put it that way. No, no, I'm a little upset. <laughs> um, okay, so then uh, Dustin Rhodes is in the up close uh, segment with Tony Schiavone. Tony is there. They're like, we didn't see anything with him and Barry at Halloween Havoc, but Tony is still trying to figure out if you know Barry is, is and, and Dustin are not doing well. Justin basically says, you know, when you're with your brother or or your friend or something, sometimes you guys just got to like fight each other. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if I don't can't remember fighting my friends ever before fist fight. Uh, And then he but he's starting to tease that he wants to go after the U.S. title so uh, he he said he, you know, everything was just about his dad, how much he loves his dad. He wants to be the American Dream, but he doesn't want to necessarily follow in his footsteps. But he still wants to be the American Dream. I was like, okay, you didn't really explain that very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was kind of cool seeing you know how young Dustin is and he's trying to do like a really serious promo, and you can almost see these trying to channel his dad in a sense. But you know that that that's a that's a like he said a big shadow but uh not one of the better ones but you know it was, it was fine yeah still yeah i thought it was i it was pretty good i liked it um i liked
0: everything they they covered and i think Dustin was trying to explain like he looks up as his dad, but he also doesn't want to be his dad, and and like you said, live in that shadow. But yeah, he 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 wasn't as clear as he probably should have been. But um, I like you know Tony asking some tough questions about mm-hmm. their his, his his recent issues with his tag team partner Barry Windham, and and I like the little tease of the U.S. title, and you know which I would I guess think was going to add some feel to the fire between him and Barry Windham.
2: So Jake says he's like look bill watts you can ban the snake because the reptile is is not the snake i am the snake i like that it was it was pretty good he's still selling the snake bite he's got the little he got the little stitches on on his Mm -hmm. chin but yeah really cool promo uh and it kind of makes bill watts look like kind of like an idiot so yeah 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 jake is you know jake is the one who's you know who, who who's in there and he's killing dudes with ddt's i don't know I about like that i don't know about
0: the was looking idiot i think it's more of like oh man this is this guy's dangerous right this guy's I think it more of a kind of puts him over, not Watts. I'm talking about Jake Roberts, like puts you that, oh man, he's, he's now, he's, he's really pissed now, right? He
2: lost, but now he's really going to cause some chaos, but it's like, it's like the the (laughs) entire, yeah, I know the, the entire show is built around people being mad at Bill Watts. Mm -hmm. People, you know, and Bill Watts is not even wrestling. He's just the boss, you know, Paulie wants to beat up Eric Watts only because he doesn't like Bill Watts. You know, Bill Watts is involved in all this stuff. He's doing all these interviews. It just seems like he's too, way too involved in this show, in the storylines. And then his his own son is in the main storyline, and it is all because of him. And I just, I don't know. I just seem it's just too much of this dude. I th- well, I think it would have worked
0: if they ever paid it off with Watts getting the ring in with a like a. I think instead of wasting her time with this man versus woman issue between Polly Dangerously and Medusa, I like the the angle of Polly Dangerously. You know, because of what happened with the contract situation, when causing issues with his you know champion Rick Rude, I like the story of Polly Dangerously. You know he can't hurt Bill Watts because he's an executive, but I could damn sure hurt your son,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: sending bounties on him, and which would which would eventually you know Bill Watts doesn't do anything about it because he's like hey you know Eric's his own man he can he can handle himself, but when something so dashly happens so vicious and is he you know it, he's beyond being the executive and you know beyond just letting his son fend of himself now he's the now he's a father who cares for his son's livelihood, then he comes in and makes a you know helps helps Eric out and makes a comeback. Maybe he even gets his ass kicked too. It builds to a match between, you know, the Watts teaming together against Polly and someone, you know, maybe Steve Austin or or whoever. And, you know, the finish is Bill getting his hands on Polly Dangerously. Just like, you know, the the last stampede with Bill Watts getting his hands on Jim Cornette. I think I think there was uh money to be made here if they weren't so stubborn with each other him and Paul Lee I think that's I think that could have been a big time moment if and also if you know Walsh never got fired too so it's another thing
2: Uh, so Nikita beats J.R. King with the Russian sickle Um, and then we have I thought I thought this was a lot of fun so we have PS Hayes and Bobby Eaton who are now going to you know, go after Eric Watts. They're next on on you know the the uh, the masked intruder guy or whatever. The Italian stallion couldn't get new, the job done. You
0: guys count uh, going to click that bounty on Eric Watts.
2: Yeah. So P.S. Hayes and beautiful Bobby are there. Paulie does a really good interview. P.S. Hayes does a really good interview, and Paulie calls Hayes. I don't know if this. He didn't really sell this that much, but he called him. Michael P.S. Hayes, perfect str- strategist. Mm-hmm. So for the P.S., I thought that was kind of clever. So then we get this match, like you said, Watts against Beautiful Bobby. So whenever Watts would get something on Eaton, Eaton would have to regroup, and he'd stall, and he'd like trying to figure out, like, okay, you know, what am I, what 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 am I going to do here? This guy is surprising me. Jr. was saying, well, Watts has to keep it simple because he doesn't know, you know, he's he, he still new. But in my mind, I was like, well, but if he keeps it simple, like beautiful Bobby's going to kick his ass. Like he's got to come up with some, some, you know, some crazy stuff.
0: Well, he, I think he's, you know, he needs to keep it simple so he doesn't make a big mistake to where he, he gets
2: caught and taken advantage by the veteran. That's the idea. So guess what? We get another chop block in this match. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Be- beautiful Bobby starts working on the leg. He goes up to the top rope, gets ready to set, hit his finisher, misses the Alabama Jam. P.S. Hayes comes in. And he starts fighting with Watts. So Watts has got, he's got PS Hayes. He's got Eaton in the ring. He's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, I think Eaton gets knocked over the top rope. And then he hits Hayes with that fireman's carry move for the pin. And the referee counts Michael Hayes in like regular clothes for yeah. the pin. And Eric Watts gets the hand raised for winning the match. Like, it was like, what the hell? The finish totally killed,
0: killed a really good, really good match I, I would have been happy with the disqualification really I first of all Bobby Eaton what a tremendous job he did here Told ring general and I know earlier we talked about how like the fans aren't buying Eric Watts but I'll tell you what though these fans at center stage that, that, that for this match were buying him they are really mm-hmm. into this match and cheering him on I don't know why... Speaking of taking chances, I don't know why Eric Watts decided to do a flying dropkick off the apron <laughs> to the floor. <laughs> and how do you not break his hip on that? It was beyond me. Must be those young bones he has. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like the finish was stupid. I would have just, you know, had... Instead of Aaron Anderson to be out there as well, I would have had just Paul Lee being out there with with Bobby and Michael Hayes and then when he misses it and goes for the cover, I would have had, you know, Michael Hayes pop in there, get disqualification, but then, you know, Watts is fighting off, uh, fighting off uh, Eaton and Bobby and then Arn comes in and looks and he starts, he kind of gets one shot on Eric and Eric's selling him, but then then they're setting something up but he kind of skates out of there. He gets out, he kind of outsmarts them, you know, by the skin of his teeth, he skits out of there just to kind of like keep something, you know, and then build yeah, you know, now you can build more matches out of that. But it's just um that that I've seen them um, I've seen that before. It's usually when someone like like for example, um Eddie Gilbert was shooting with Great Muda in nineteen eighty nine and they had a match, I think it was like some kind of like stupid stipulation, didn't really make sense, like a Japanese Kendo stick match or something like that, but anyways, it was like this weird Taipei death match or something. No, no, not that, not Taipei death. It was just some weird stipulation match. Maybe it was like an, almost like a nose qualification match, and Eddie Gilbert wins. But since Great Mood is on this undefeated streak, he pins Gary Hart. Like it is legal because of the stipulations. Mm. but it's just you know what you know. Billy Gary Hart just it's a way to get out of this match with Eddie Gilbert's hand raise, right? So. I guess this was the same kind of situation. I just didn't like it because I think that makes a ref look like an idiot when he's counting, just not see the, all of a sudden the guy in the fully clothed outfit getting pinned by uh, Eric Watts. I just, yeah, I would have much rather had them do the disqualification and do something out of it after that
2: the post match out of that. Yeah. I was so surprised that they, that this was the, they didn't announce it as the main event. At least I could, I didn't, remember hearing it but when i saw how much time was left i was like oh you know maybe we'll get something short and then this thing kept going and going and going they left uh, that main event with like two or three minutes of tv time left so watts comes out and shane douglas is next to him and watts is putting over the young guy and basically saying you know if you want pillman we'll set that match up and then pillman comes out and he's like pillman's like you're lucky that we don't have any time left because then we could do it right now. And then Watts is like, well, we got two minutes, start the match. And of course, we don't get to see the rest of it. We get to see Shane Douglas knock Pillman over the top rope and, and to the outside, and then the show ends.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is great. This is, this is um, you know, classic Watts, you know, ending the show with the wild action. And I liked it. I thought it was hot action. The crowd was into it. And um. I thought this was a nice ending and isn't you know, but next week I think stings wrestling Brian Pillman. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if, I don't know, I'm trying to remember that. I, I remember that. I remember they had a match for the King cable. I don't remember the finish. I wonder if Shane gets involved in that
2: somehow. All right. That is it. So, uh, John and I will be back next week to talk about the rest of it. So just for people, I think we mentioned this already, but we'll, we'll get through the end of December, But uh, 2021, we're going to hit that 97 Raw, so be on the lookout for that.
0: Be on the lookout for Skull and (laughs) 8-Ball. All
2: right, I want to thank John and thank Carlos for coming on. I do want to apologize for the interview that I did with Carlos. So just to give you a little bit of information... Uh, I was moving this entire weekend, and you know when you put your when you take your computer down and you put it back together, sometimes the channels don't read correctly. So when I went into the software that we use to record the interviews, you know, virtually, for whatever reason, it read. As my internal microphone. Like it didn't pick up the microphone that you're hearing me speak on right now. No idea why. It's always been the the default. And for whatever reason, it just decided not to not to use my actual microphone. So apologies for the interview with Carlos. I I listened back and I was like, what the heck is going on? Why is it so hollow and Echoey and and just doesn't sound good at all. And then I went back to check the settings, and I saw that it just selected my internal microphone. So I spoke into this microphone the entire time, and it was actually picking up through the computer's microphone. So sorry about that, folks. Uh, I, now that we're in the new place, things will be back to normal. I'll even sound even better because we'll have some. Sound uh, paneling and and other things up in this office, so it's because this office is a little bit bigger and it's a little bit taller. The ceiling's taller as well, so uh, need to fix all of those things. But oh, so sorry that that happened. It was you know when 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 you do this for a little while, and John and I kind of pride ourselves in trying to make this thing sound good, and then you know you get that echoey bad sound. I feel kind of embarrassed. But oh, well, we'll, we'll that is just the one time and then we'll, we'll get back to normal. But anyways, so uh, thanks again to John Carlos. I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.